Here we go. Welcome everybody to the Outside Edge, a podcast for extreme athletes, from extreme athletes, and everything else in between. I'm your host, Dave Briscoe. Joined by my slow-fingered producer who can't keep up with my introduction, Mike Lee. <laughs> Hello, everyone. How are you? <laughs> and, of course, my co-host, Chad Briscoe. Oh, yeah, baby. What's up, guys? All right, we need... Th- listen, This th- we said this a couple episodes ago, but we definitely need some Chad Briscoe intro music. I mean, Shannon had his beer, beer, beer. I don't know if Shannon's ever going to... He keeps... So, Shannon keeps texting me at, like, uh, midnight, 11 o'clock, midnight... And talking about all the ideas he has and all everything he wants to do for the show, but we can't seem to get a time to get yeah. him on. Yeah, well, that's weird um, because we've scheduled a time three times. Three times. And uh, you know who crapped out on us? Oh, yeah, that's right. Shannon Best. Oh! So yeah. if you're listening, Shannon, go shove a wallaby up your ass. Or at least uh, one of them birds. <laughs> yeah, go, go take one of those damn parakeets and put it up where a parakeet don't shine, pal. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, Shannon. Shannon. Shannon Best. Anyway. Who needs an Aussie? <laughs> Bloomin' onion. Bloomin' butthole. That's what it is. Oh, like your dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Chad, what's going on in your world, man? I'm just chilling right now. I'm waiting for my job to start. It got delayed a couple days, so I am just hanging out until that starts. Oh, yeah, no. Chad was supposed to start on Monday, and uh, they pushed it back. What was their What was their reasoning? I have no idea. They said something about a um, a group coming, and they didn't have enough space for orientation or something like that. So I don't oh, know. Yeah. It got pushed back a couple days. Um, so that means that uh, your benefits of free buds got pushed back to a few days is yeah. what i'm thinking yeah. that uh, that kind of sucks although we did go out yesterday uh so I, you might see on my facebook that i've been taking a home inspector test i'm taking a class oh that's right on How home is inspection that going? i uh, passed the final quiz today hey, got my right. certificate 100 percent. so i'm gonna be doing some home inspecting so on wait the a minute side. so you are right now a certified no no i still gotta go take the state test now so oh, I've, okay. I've, I've passed the class Okay, and I gotcha. took the final exam, 200 question on the class. Uh-huh. And, uh, actually, How hard was it? It was pretty hard. I mean, there's some... I, I knew a lot of it, but... I gotta be honest, when uh, I came up with that idea, it was for myself. Yeah. But I was like, well, I'm good right now, but if every, and if anything shits the bed, yeah. then I might go and do that. Um, but uh, but that's when I was like, Dave, what, what the yeah. hell, man? That would be great because you get to c- control your own hours. Right. If you can do... Three to four houses a week, which I mean, I would I would hope you as many people as you know, you yeah, can get at least that 250, many. 300 bucks is usually the standard what you sure, charge. Exactly. Takes you two to three hours oh, to do well, it. I paid I paid three fifty for mine. Oh, yeah. So if you can do one, let's say at 9 a.m., it takes you two to yeah. three hours. You're done yeah. by noon. Take a little lunch. Do yeah. another one at one or two in the afternoon. Yeah. That's two in a day. Yeah. And if you can do that three or four days a week, sure. uh, you're making some good money. It'll cover. It'll oh, cover absolutely. some the downtime when the recession hits, like yeah. it's hitting again now. So, so, but we did go out over the week, uh, yesterday actually, after I finished some of my, my testing, and we, we got on the disc again and, and we broke two oh, new records. Oh my God. Two what new I, records on the disc. The first person eating a cheeseburger on the disc. All right. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. <laughs> no. Lay, Layla, my dog, yeah. helped me break one record. Okay. And then Chad broke a new record. But I'm not going to tell you what they were because I'm pressuring Chad to edit this and get it up. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So now the pressure's on because we've stated it we've on the podcast. We've actually mentioned it now on the podcast. Yeah. So I now understand. Chad's yeah. going to. 
Are you going to get these down or what? It'll be up today on the oh. Facebook. Oh, it'll be up big, today. Here, here we go. go. Yeah, that's big it. talk. Uh huh. I, I like to see it happen, pal. <laughs> well, listen, the cool thing about the podcast is we're getting so many new followers. We're over 5,000 downloads now. Um, it's growing fast in just three and a half months. It's amazing. And I appreciate everybody that's following the podcast and that's into it. And the other good thing is it's bringing some of my old buddies out of the woodwork. And uh, one of my buddies that I ran into a couple of years ago up at Jeremy Kovac's place uh, sent me a, a messenger and he goes, hey, if you need uh, some Canadian influence, give me a jingle. So uh, let me introduce uh, that. You're yeah. going to bring the Canadian ham on? Yeah, a little, little Canadian, little <laughs> Canadian, Canadian bacon. bacon. Yeah. yeah. Funny you should mention that. So I'm going to give you a few accolades about uh, this gentleman buddy of mine. He started out kind of like everybody else. You know, he started skiing by the time he could walk. He was on everything, discs, paddles, styrofoam, whatever he could go on. Uh, then he got into kneeboarding. Um, so kneeboarding in the early eighties was still, it was before wakeboarding was invented. Kneeboarding was actually sure. a sport and you know, the days of Mario Fosa and Dave Jennings and some of the other guys. Well, he was sweeping up in Canada. He, he, he won pretty much every kneeboard competition in the eighties and nineties. Uh, he helped develop wakeboards first nationals. And uh, when wakeboarding did start in Canada and also wake stock. So wake stock was kind of like we had board stock in California. Yeah. And then they had a wake stock event in Canada that was just, you know, you ever see girls gone wild. It's kind of like that in, oh. in wakeboarding. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Man. Kinda. Yeah. That's you've been the missing, it. Days, you've man. missing it for oh, years. Oh, my yeah. God. So that when he went to college, he went to college for film. He immediately shot his first wakeboard film immediately out of college. And it was called Canadian Bacon. Oh, yeah. isn't that funny? And it was hey, in 1997, right. yeah. And if you guys watch, if you're big into wakeboard videos, you would have remembered that. Wait, For, did he spell it B-A-C-O-N or was it B-A-K-I-N apostrophe? Well, like Canadian that, bacon. Well, you know well, what I'm well I'll like, give you a chance to ask him here okay. in a minute. <laughs> so from there, he created the world of wakeboarding. It was a TV series shot on OLN, which is a Canadian network. It lasted seven years in Canada. He did two seasons with 26 episodes. Whoa. Yeah, that was a big deal. I know who it is. Justin Bieber. You're close. Ugh. His second wake film was Sea Monkeys. That was a pretty good one in 1998. And then uh, he went off to do the Lofty Bunch, which was an icon video that I was in in 1999. Ryan Reynolds. And that was an amazing series as well. <laughs> not nope. Ryan Reynolds. Ladies and gentlemen, Jake Toms. All right. Hell of an intro, uh, lads. Thanks so much. Oh, yeah. There he is. B-A-K-I-N apostrophe for the record. We did it right. It was B-A-K-I-N apostrophe. Oh, my God. Look See at that? who's wicked smart over here. Wicked smart. <laughs> right on. So, Jake, what's going on, man? Well, we are living the COVID dream at the moment. Yeah, what's Being, going on uh, with Canada up there? We made it through the winter into, into more isolation, so it's just awesome. Yeah, right? It's already, you're already isolated in Canada for seven months of the year. Wow. Not that not that bad. Come on now. Let's be friendly. Yeah. Keep this above board. Above board. Right. Over the edge. Oh, my God. So what what's going on up there? Like, How bad is it? Are they taking it ridiculous to the... I think it's being taken seriously. Um, you know, when you the media certainly does its best to, to make it look as, as harmful and as horrible as it is. But truthfully, if you're smart about things, um, I think we could all if we had all just stopped for 30 days, this would be over. But right. because there were bits and pieces of misinformation out there, people that wanted to push the envelope, essential services and people that that needed to be out there. 
the exposure circle just keeps going and going and going. So right. I think the, the mask is thing is going to be a real deal. Um, they're going to have to ha- come up with some waterproof masks for the wakeboard and the water sports enthusiasts to get, <laughs> stay COVID friendly out there. God. But I think it's an education for all of us, but I think some of the good that's come of it is, is family time, you know, like right. it makes you realize, you know what, maybe I wasn't too busy to, to take the time to watch a movie with my kids or whatever. So it's right. It's and a nice, well-deserved break. You've got four kids now, right? I think one, two, yeah, <laughs> He's four. counting them. <laughs> How old are they now? Uh, 19, 16, 13, 11. So we got a, we got a hockey team. Yeah, wow. really, no kidding. I just, I just came into, uh, I had to step out for just a minute, but I just came into four kids. Is that right? That is correct. Wow, yeah, you guys really are in isolation up there in Canada. <laughs> you got nothing else to do, man. There's nothing going on over there. Yep, I think most <laughs> there's definitely going to be some COVID babies after the end of this no for sure. Kidding, huh? Yeah. Now I don't yeah. know if you ever met my son Chad. Probably when he was a kid, right? I mean, because we you started coming on the scene in '97 with wakeboarding. He was born in '96. Yeah, I think maybe when he was just wee, like on a pro tour stop. I think I might have met him uh, just in an arm wrestle type scenario, right? Right. But yeah, certainly not in the capacity now. Nice to meet you again, Chad. Yeah, it's good talking to you, and it's uh, it's good to see everything you've done for this sport, and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, awesome. Appreciate that. Yeah, and let's get into it. Mike didn't want to leave you out there. I know how you get upset about that kind of thing. I know it. I know it. I, always, I, I run right over him, and I don't let him talk half the time in the podcast. Well, most of his life. <laughs> so, Batman and Robin. Right, right. So let's get into the Lofty Bunch. That was a f- so you started shooting in '97. Um, what, what got you into doing film and wakeboarding first? So it started basically back in the day when you're out there water skiing, kneeboarding, whatever. Um, we we're videotaping everything, and then at the end of the summer, we'd put together sort of a gag reel of all the all the latest and greatest stunts that we had learned over the summer. And then that kind of led to to acquiring some sponsors, and they needed some higher level exposure. So I put together a little thing for O'Brien, who was one of my first sponsors back in the day. And they loved what we did, and that kind of spitballed from there right into uh, a snowball, and we started making movies after that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So who who were the first riders on O'Brien? Back in the day, well, so that Pat McElhaney, he made the evil twin, right? That was his sort of claim to fame. And then wasn't Greg Nelson on the double up when yep, O'Brien absolutely. first came out with the first twin tip? Wasn't that Nelson? Yep, sure was. So those were a couple of the first key guys. And then, yeah, so Pat McElhaney. And then after the Evil Twins, so what came out after that? Oh, Eric Perez. No, not Perez. Um, Corey Pico was on the Apex. Oh, yeah. Yep. Was it Corey? Remember that? Back that long, skinny directional board yep. that was just insane. So to, but when you were shooting. Up, did when, you ever get on a. When you were shooting in Canada. Did you ever get on a bonsai board when O'Brien made them? No, I, I remember the bonsai board. Um, I don't know if I rode that or not. I mean, I I was I started on the Connolly um, stick, which wasn't even a legal wakeboard because it was too narrow. Um, and then, right. you know, the razor uh, came out, the razor blade, and then it all kind of evolved from there. But who were some of the guys in Canada that you were, when you were doing that filming... Like, I know you've been buddies with Kovac for a long time, but was, was he one of those original guys, or who were some of the Canadian guys that were for on sure. your film? 
Yeah, so Canadian Bacon kind of well, wanted to put our riders on the map. First of all, Jeremy, who was certainly one of the more visible on the market. Um, Jeff here. Um, Jeff and Jeremy were probably Canada's two most recognizable athletes at that point in time. But there was a whole slew of other guys pretty much in Ontario. Um, our budget was limited, so we kind of stayed on the eastern side of Canada. But guys like Dave Tazuki, who I know you know, flying Hawaiian Dave Tazuki, he's just um, the poster child for Ridland. And <laughs> he was, <laughs> we've had some good times. Uh, Brian McCulley, another guy who was a uh, barefooter turned wakeboarder. Um, and then with the later films, we got some heck from the guys on the West Coast. They were like, hey, man, why are you leaving us out? So that spitballed into uh, into one of the films that we shot after we did The Lofty Bunch called uh, Sea Monkeys. Right. And because I, I started coaching some of those guys out West, like the Kelowna guys and the BC guys, like Henshaw came from out there. And um, I'm trying to remember all the guys' names. Who was the redhead that was really good? And I coached him. I'm, I can't believe I'm mind blocking right now. Um, uh, I think it was Steve McKinley was a redhead. McKinley, that's exactly Jeremy, what I'm thinking of. Yeah, McKinley, Steve McKinley. Yeah, uh, was, shocker that the redhead think... was named McKinley. McKinley, <laughs> <laughs> let's get out on the wakeboard, boys. <laughs> True. He's the lovely West Coast ginger. <laughs> Beauty, beautiful lad. Uh, and then there were guys in the West, like Chad Sharp. Uh, oh, yeah. He was coming up behind uh, Jeff here. He had spent a lot of time skiing with Jeff. And then Jamie Rizzuto was a very, uh, a very cool rider because his influence, he was a big downhill skier, but then he turned snowboarder. So he was like one of the original badass backcountry snowboarders turned wakeboarder. And now as wakeboarding has sort of become less, uh, less he's become less involved in wakeboarding, on the snowboard circuit so he's like our age 22 23 right now is that uh, ish yeah right times two right and right. he's on the uh he's riding on the north face free ride tour it's crazy oh no kidding. but his style was awesome he, he brought so much cool um snowboard style to wakeboarding like he would hang out like huge grabs and wait till like the last second to let go. And, and uh, he had a very cool riding style. Love to meet that guy. Yeah, yeah. And the boats were just, I mean, you're talking the years of when towers were just starting to come out from extended pylons to towers. And the wakes weren't even massive Oh, dude, just massive Yeah, you just like would go to the bar looking for the largest woman saying, hey, do you want to come out in the boat with us tomorrow and hang out? Right, right, exactly, exactly. And, and, Here's a piece of trivia for you. you. Okay. Did you know the original launch pad was a Canadian invention? The original launch, the bag to put in the boat to fill with water, that was Canadian? Canadian invention. I, yeah, Wayne Remnant, guy from Toronto, another buddy of ours, invented and patented that. And then, I don't know. Uh, Hold a on a bag. second. I have to dispute that. I'm sorry. But we. Uh, I've been doing this podcast for a while now, since the beginning, really. And um, <laughs> I remember a story of Dave saying that the original uh, fill bags were fat women in the back of the boat. So I think that goes to America. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys can have that one. <laughs> that was Dave that said that, not me. I'm just letting you know. 
Actually, so I, I you know, I'll go. They would. He literally said, I don't know if you heard that episode, but he literally said they would go to the bars, like the lakeside bars. They would get a couple of hot chicks, but then they would get some of the big girls too, just so they could sit them at the back of the boat to make a better way. <laughs> You're close. It was in tournaments we used to get the biggest guy, guy or girl, but we actually get on the because I was on the mic most of the time. Oh yeah. So I would have this contest and try to be as politically clever, correct as I could, and asking, I'd say, who here thinks they can drink the most beer? And you'd always see the one guy with the the shirt that you belly. can't tuck in, yeah, like yeah. it's impossible to tuck the shirt in over the gut. And <laughs> I'm getting there, by the way. I got to get away uh, from that stuff. <laughs> and then we'd have a beer chugging contest, and even if that guy didn't win, he uh, won. He won. He <laughs> yeah, was the winner. He, he yeah. Hey, congratulations, second yeah. place. Yeah. You're the biggest. <laughs> yeah. Right. We need you on the boat, please. <laughs> right. Sit towards the back. Yeah. So well, we what, we would do that a lot. What that guy wasn't told. What that guy wasn't told was the fact that once he was in the boat, he had to stay in the boat for the entire heat. Oh, I know. Relief. He's had six beers. He's totally sunburned. Need to drop a deuce. He's stuck in the boat. That is true. Can we please go back to the dock, please? Um, (laughs) No, sorry, you're stuck for the day. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) That is true. Yeah, Yeah, I so I didn't know that about the. I didn't know that about the fat sack being the first one because, I mean, basically all it was was a waterbed mattress. I mean, I did get credit for having the first ballast on a boat because I had a barrel. I had a 55-gallon drum that was sideways on the back of a platform of a, uh, it was a 93 Nautique, I think. It was a ski Nautique, center motor. But I would put a 55-gallon drum on the back with a valve on it and I would fill and empty that. But that's what started ballast. But then, yeah, the first, the first yeah. bag... I didn't know that that came I'm, out of Canada. I'm telling you, uh, the first ballast and the first fat sack came from Dave Briscoe, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on my way back there now. thank you very much for your contribution to the sport. <laughs> That's about all I got. <laughs> That's what I offer. Right on. So, God, where do we go from there? Then... Um, so you did a lot of these videos and, and we're going to have to see if we can get some of them. We talked about, well, I want to, I want to ask you a question about that because before we started recording, you had mentioned that you would really like to get those, uh, those videos back up, but you can't because the music, uh, the music rights. And then when we started recording, you said we would just put them to whatever music is popular at the time. So it kind of does go to show the, the new age, like of technology. Um, so are you going to be able to get the rights to the music to the original videos or what's the plan on that? Well, the original videos, we had rights for those videos. Certainly that was not the issue, but this is well before, well, truthfully, before the internet. Right, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. Like the mid-90s, right? But we barely had email, let alone websites, so YouTube didn't really exist in any capacity. So now when you put these things up, they've already, the music industry has already sort of got these androids crawling through all of YouTube looking for these songs. And when you get flagged with a song, you can still have it up there, but you just can't monetize it because you don't have the rights to the music. Wow. That's pretty standard fare now. So yeah, I, even I'm, I'm confused. The, uh, I know this is old, um, world awake. Sorry, what? I was going to say, this is way kind of off of the water sport aspect of it, but I work in radio and we work in a lot of, uh, you know, music business, uh, you know, buying the rights and having the rights to be able to play songs on the air. So uh, it's just an interesting aspect of it that uh, even though you purchased the rights whenever you made the video, now if you want to post it to YouTube, you've got to repurchase them? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you never had the original rights to do it. That's why in certain films you may see, well, certainly in Canada, we get a if we get a different movie um, and 
whoever wrote the music, whether it's like Hans Zimmer or Harry Gregson Williams or someone like that, if in their contract there was no rights to music internationally, we could have a different score of the same movie here in Canada than what you guys would have in the States because they don't have the rights to the music. Oh, wow. Every contract was unique. Every video, every film was unique. So um, nowadays, most people are buying a subscription service, you know, like Artlist or Audio, Audio Network, where you can license the music for whatever usage you want and you, you pay for that usage. Um, but certainly the wild, wild west days of YouTube are gone. Now there's record companies, Androids crawling all over looking for music. Wow. That's uh, that's really interesting. I, I, I just never would have assumed that... Uh, I mean, if you make a movie you know you use whatever music then that music is yours for that movie no matter where it shows but i i had no idea that you had to buy them for different uh, uh areas of distribution i guess yeah i think now any sort of contract that you negotiate now it's included everything one right. of the contracts that i saw for a project recently said everything in the known universe <laughs> <laughs> so that the market the market's pretty pretty deep so if we make it to mars and I've got a deal for some music. It'll play there too. So nice. Oh, well, that's good. At least you're 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 universal now. You can say that. Truthfully, truthfully, universal. Maybe I'll put an exclusion in there. Everything in the universe except for Mars. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> so you started talking a little bit about your movies and whatnot. Um, take me through when you were a wakeboarder, and then you realized I want to go to school for film. So kind of just take me through that transformation. I think I was a Wally skier, just a cottage skier turned filmmaker turned wakeboarder in that order. Um, my passion for the, for the sport was always there. And because I was active in the sport, I was thinking like an athlete, okay, how, how can we shoot this in a different way? You know, like in, um, in, the lofty bunch we had a camera on the front of the wakeboard where the fin mounted to long before gopros were even like even a concept there was a cable running down the line with a quick disconnect at the handle and the camera was physically bolted to the uh, to the wakeboard and we like the shot we got ike uh brett eisenhower went out there for the first time with this rig it was weird because the the line was heavy with the extra video cable running down it but i remember that i remember that yeah in fact there was a tournament and you asked if i would wear it and i was like no jake i'm sorry man there's no way i i'm so used to having everything the same i I couldn't take the risk but ike you know he didn't give a shit he was probably just coming down from a pretty big run of the night before anyway (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think there was definitely some blur in there for sure, and that may be why he said yes. <laughs> wow, it it, uh, it was cool. So I think the early days of of uh, of skiing, when you ski, you sort of know what you want to see and you know how you want to see it. And then as a filmmaker, it's like, all right, so how can we shoot this in a different way to make it interesting for other people that may or may not be involved in the sport? Um, and then what's cool is when you get into doing stuff with the riders then you get the riders involved say okay so why don't we set up the camera on this shore because it would be cool to shoot a double up down there with that you know train bridge in the background or whatever the case may be so it was cool to see the evolution of the riders getting involved in in sort of some of the creative concepts and then the end result was just a a mashup of of cool fun video that is awesome, and it has come a long way since then. I know uh, Parks and I just shot a video this last uh, winter where he came down, and it was a barefoot video. I don't know if you saw it or not, um, but it, it was pretty badass. It was through pretty much the chain of lakes, and we had about a, 
I don't know, I think we had like a 600 or 700 foot line on a spool and we would put a boat through a situation, like through a canal and then parks would be on the other side of the canal in the lake and the rope was so long that there was no, no laws really being broken. The boat would take off in the other lake, parks would get up in barefoot and then come zipping through whatever the canal was or between two trees or, you know, whatever the situation. It was a really cool video, but it was, again, just like you said, it was, it was thinking ahead of what the shot was going to look like. Those videos, there was always there was always shock value that needed to happen. Either somebody landed a super cool trick, a huge double up, or there was some stupid shenanigans happening in between sets that just had to get shot, right? Yeah. Like having a cardboard cutout of uh, John Wayne. <laughs> having a cardboard cutout <laughs> of John Wayne <laughs> at the door of a bus with his crotch missing. <laughs> well, yeah, the cardboard Sidebar. was missing. Yeah, we are gonna take that to the bonus episode. We, if you guys, so this we are gonna take Jake onto a bonus episode because we did a photo, we did a video one year. It was 1999, was it? 98, 99, yeah, somewhere 98 in there. And it was the I, Team Icon, which was me and Kovac and Brett Eisenhower, Matt Hickman, uh, Evan Casey Kennedy Martin. was in there, Casey Martin. Uh, Christy, uh, Christy, what her name? She was throwing the mobs back then. Christy. Um, oh, uh, the only girl to throw a mob. Yes. Uh, oh my God. I, uh, why am I from my, Texas? And she rode such a short line. Smith, Chrissy Smith, Chrissy Smith. Yeah. Chrissy Smith. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, and, and of yeah, course we had Britt Kovac, which was, you know, the bombshell of trick skiing, her and her twin sister, Britt and Ton Larson, which the Larson twins. Oh my God. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the hottest girls ever on a cover of a magazine next to Camille Duvall. Uh, well, we're going to get them on. Brit, Brit's already committed that, that she's, she's going to come on. So we're going to get that on there too. But anyway. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. Oh, she's a sweetheart. But we, um, we had some amazing video stuff, and um, we, we we're going to do a bonus episode, and we're going to get deep into that story because some crazy shit happened during that. But um, – before I want to get into one more story, Jake, and it, uh, you you had a snowmobile accident in 2017. Can you talk about that for a minute? I did, yeah. Um, up here in Canada, through the winter months, we uh, we get around by snowmobiles. So I was just out getting some groceries, uh, and uh, that's a joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> we were uh, just going for <laughs> going for a backcountry ride with some buddies, and just came across this. Uh, came across this piece of terrain that that uh that bucked me so hard the seat hit me on the ass in such a way that it caused my t12 vertebrae in my back to shatter and go right into my cord um so it uh the end result was now i am a t12 paraplegic so i'm confined to a wheelchair wow. now which yeah. kind of sucks it, uh, it's kind of tough but we talked about disabled adaptive skiing a couple episodes back and and that's why i wanted to bring this up because how you've transferred into that and you're breaking records already you know what I I had I was content when I broke myself um, to to ride out my days as a father I could still do filmmaking I could still do editing I could still hug my kids drive a car I'm totally independent drive a boat blah 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 but what I didn't expect was to fall back in love with water skiing because of uh, the adaptive community um, so I was invited down to Winter Haven to uh, uh, a camp at the Ants Angels place not too far from where you are right yep yeah real close over on Mary Jane I think over on Mary Jane. <laughs> it's on uh, Lake Jesse. 
like Jesse. You're right. Yeah, but Mary Jane uh, sounds better. Yeah, Mary Jane's awesome. Yeah, uh, it's it's yep. a great it's a great place. No, we all go to Mary Jane. We all hang out. Hey everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know my geography down there any more than you guys know geography north of the border. So we're good. <laughs> so so yeah. So what um, happened so down, down there? Yeah. Yeah, and Angels, yeah, just exposed to an amazing group of people and the sport. Like, I didn't think I would fall in love with it the way I did as soon as I got on it. Everything just felt the same. And of all the things that were taken away and given back to me, that's one of those sports that still feels the same. You know, you still have that same pull. You still have handle etiquette, you know, to initiate a spin twist. You know, you've got the same mechanisms of play, just everything. Uh, that you're riding on is just a little different. It's kind of like an air chair without the uh, without the foil. Right, right. And for those listeners that don't know, I, a few episodes back, I can't remember which episode number it was, but uh, we talked, I gave a whole episode to Ann O'Brien. And Ann O'Brien was one of my students that brought me into the world of disabled skiing and uh, adaptive skiing or however you want to call it. But uh, that's what Jake went down to was Ann's Angels, which is the people that have taken it over since Annie's passed away. Um, Can I ask you this? I, I haven't seen a photo of uh, an adaptive skiing like a like you said your T twelve paraplegic. Is that right? Yeah, I'll send you a video that we shot at the camp. Yeah, I would love to see it because my I, I guess my curiosity is: Do you actually sit in a chair, or do they have a thing that kind of stands you up enough that you can be on the board? It's called a cage. So you have a specially made aluminum cage that's got a sling in it. And basically, you kind of tuck your hips and your butt into this sling. Mm -hmm. um, and because of the profile of where the metal bars are, you're kind of locked in because, because of where your hips are. And then your, your feet just get tucked into, uh, into like a, a binding type thing. So you're, it's kind of like sitting in, in some instances, like sitting in a bucket, but you're in a little sling. Gotcha. Yeah. And your knees are higher than your hips. I'll send you the video. Yeah. yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, um, is, it, is it is it tough to, uh, I mean, because I would imagine, you know, you come up, you standing. I know that for me, I would have to put my hips into an edge to go out to the right or pull, pull my hips out or whatever to go out to the left. Uh, how do you how do you do that in that instance? Do you just is it all abdominals? Um, yeah, and I think how everybody's injury is unique. I'm fairly low in my injury, so mm -hmm. I have some ab control that connects to my hips. But for someone that's got a, um, a spinal injury higher up their back, like T4, T6 in that neck of the woods, they have no connection from their, their ab, from their core to their torso. Mm -hmm. So they have no stability when they're sitting up. So in those cases, those people would basically have their chest down under their knees and basically, they are just driving their legs through the turn and taking all the, the load of the line right through their chest, right through their knees, right through their feet into the ski. Wow. That is pretty, pretty amazing. Cool. That is actually pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of the – I saw that you took second in one of the tournaments, uh, on the adaptive tournaments. So you are competing again? Yeah, I got drafted into the uh, national team. They they uh, convinced me over a round of ping pong and, and here we are. Um, right on. So first year, I think it went to Anne's in April of 2018, and then August of that same year, skied my nationals back here in Canada and took second. And then just last summer, we went to Norway with the yeah uh, with the national team for the World Championships, which was amazing. Oh no Got kidding! Got a whole bunch of the, uh, the the American team. Yeah, it was it was quite the trip. 
I hadn't seen or really come in contact with that many other adaptive skiers. So to see everybody's rigs, how they how they modify their equipment specific to their needs, it really is a hands-on sport. Like you can't just go to performance and okay, I'll take an adaptive ski, please. Like right. one company in Germany makes the skis. Another guy in in uh, Australia makes them out of his garage. And there's a company in the states that makes uh, a few that make their own skis and they make cages as well. But you, you just can't you just can't go get this stuff. So that's the hardest part is actually getting the equipment to to do the sport. Yeah, and get it tuned into your specifics. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome. Exactly. Okay, so we're going to wrap that episode up. And hey, Jake, is there a chance we can get you back on to talk about the video that we did for the Lofty Bunch in '99? absolutely that'll be a definitely a different uh discussion that's gonna be a completely different discussion yep so listen all of you out here that love this episode and want to get some dark stories of what happened back in the 90s we are going to do an episode immediately following this but you're going to be able to hear it on patreon and the way you get to that is patreon.com forward slash the outside edge it's only two dollars a month it's come on it's cheap enough to handle. It's only $2 a month, but you can donate as much as you want. As much Five, as you want. 10, whatever. Yeah. Like if you're a big fan of the show or if you uh, understand that Dave needs help, like mental help, <laughs> uh, you could donate as much as $100 a month. There I you mean, go. However much you want, you know, there just you to go. help get Dave what he needs. Dave needs help. Everybody, please send money. Dave needs help. <laughs> That's what it is. Chad, what do you want to close with? Wash your hands. Give me my damn sports back. <laughs> You're screwed, buddy. You are so screwed. (laughs) Keep liking us on Facebook. Give us a little review if you can. We are going to keep this ball rolling, and we're about to do a bonus episode. So go tune in to Patreon. Get on there, and you'll be able to hear the crazy story. Thanks, everybody. This is Dave Briscoe. See you next time on The Outside Edge.